Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, I'm Helen Freer, an investment writer at Julius Baer in Zurich, and I'm here today with my colleague Adrian Yerswal from the Julius Baer Hedge Fund team, also here in Zurich. Hello, Adrian, and thank you very much for your time speaking on this podcast today. Hi, Helen. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So over the next 10 to 15 minutes, we will discuss the quintessential challenge for fixed income investors at the moment around the globe. That is where to find yield in a low yield environment. Should investors still be focusing on traditional fixed income or should they also be looking further afield to other areas that can function as a partial stand in for fixed income? So to start with then, could you just set the scene for us, Adrian, and set out what kind of environment fixed income investors are currently facing? Right. So let's remember first that traditional investors have looked to fixed income for stable and attractive returns and to obtain diversification to their equity investments. The problem today is that we live in a world of historically low interest rates with trillions of bonds yielding less than zero. This means that if investors want to maintain the yield they have been accustomed to, then they need to take on more risk. This dilemma investors find themselves in is unfortunately not new, but we now have a number of factors that are ganging up on us. First, there are shorter term, more cyclical factors. We've just lived through the most dramatic deceleration of the global economy, followed by an equally historic rebound. Massive fiscal and monetary measures were introduced and central bank rates were slashed. At the moment, everything is pointing to these measures being gradually reduced by the US Fed and we expect a slowing of inflation as well as a normalization of supply chains. But in the short term, fixed income investors will still need to manage uncertainty around these growth and inflation expectations while keeping the Fed reaction in mind. I think we need to remember too that this issue started several years ago and certainly didn't just pop up during the pandemic. That's right, Helen. And the most serious problem is that we have structural trends like an aging population and a private sector saving surplus, which was driving low interest rates and bond yields well before the corona crisis began. Major central banks started cutting interest rates during the financial crisis in 2008, and the European Central Bank was the first major central bank to cut its deposit rate into negative territory in 2014. Actually, the ECB cut it to minus 0.5% five months before the coronavirus first arrived in Europe. The Federal Reserve cut its policy rate three times in 2019, despite the former President Trump's tax cuts and increasing spending. As a result of this, we are not expecting money market rates or bond yields to return to pre-Lehman levels of 4-5%, but rather to settle at the low levels that we saw pre-corona. And those levels are not what fixed income investors are looking for. Right, so it's a difficult situation then for fixed income investors. And where does this leave us in terms of corporate bond yields? Do you have any figures for us so our listeners can get just a broad sense of the situation there? Unfortunately, the story is not much better there. We do see improving quality of the issues, but we also see declining returns. 
credit metrics of Western corporates are on average pretty good, which justifies some compression of credit spreads. The problem is that because of central bank zero interest rate policy that has been around for over 10 years now, and the desperate search for yield as a result of that, spreads have tightened so much so that we see some $11 trillion of bonds yielding negatively. Even lower quality bonds offer carry that is not particularly attractive. For example, the average yield on non-investment grade double B rated US corporate bond is merely around 4%. And for euro corporate bonds, it's even less, around 2.5% as we start the year. After that, you'd have to take on some quite substantial risk, meaning higher default rates to get a decent yield. Okay, so it sounds challenging. What's the bottom line then? What does it mean for investors? The bottom line is that when bond investors' holdings mature, they face a serious dilemma of either reinvesting their money at much lower yields or taking on much more risk and duration. Now, in the face of this challenge, we do suggest some investment options. One, investors can consider fixed income strategies that invest across the full range of traditional fixed income markets. Structures like absolute return bond funds can apply a flexible interest rate strategy and they tend to be more nimble in the face of fast-changing market conditions, such as when central banks continue to normalize their monetary policies, as we expect now. In addition, our research analyst sees opportunities in better quality high-yield names, but selection here is critical. You know, fundamentally, we don't think it pays to take on disproportionately high level of credit or duration risk to get a desired yield. So now we consider it more prudent to consider non-traditional fixed income solutions as part of a fixed income allocation, such as hedge funds and long-only alternatives credit strategies as a partial stand-in for traditional fixed income. So you've just mentioned hedge funds, but I mean, hedge funds don't immediately come to mind when thinking about income in general and fixed income in particular. So why could hedge funds be a partial stand-in for fixed income? You know, Helen, that's a fair question. Now, hedge funds are active managers that can and do use all investment instruments and trading styles at their disposal. This means that there are dozens of investment strategies in the hedge fund space from purely equity-based strategies such as equity long-short that will be long or short a stock based on the manager's conviction of a company's success to complex strategies that trade niche energy future contracts in a systematic way. The diversified nature of these strategies then means that we can build diversified portfolios consisting of different strategies that have shown to replicate the risk return profile of what we'd expect from a traditional fixed income investment or a credit investment to be precise. This risk return profile is of course just a result of an investment technique that reduces volatility and manages equity market correlation for example. Historical performance shows that a portfolio of hedge funds has been able to deliver returns at a volatility similar to that of a diversified credit investment without depending on the decade-long interest rate rally for excess return generation. So we think that in an environment of rising yields, which might turn out to be more challenging to traditional fixed income investors, active managers have the potential to perform well. Right, so you're essentially saying hedge funds, which by some are actually considered very risky investments, now serve as a safe complement to a portfolio. That's exactly right. Now, I want to make a few things clear. 
First and foremost, I always recommend that investors consult with experts who have intimate knowledge of the hedge fund space and conduct institutional level due diligence on managers. The reason I say this is because the space continues to be quite opaque to outsiders. That is understandable because it's part of their secret source in generating alpha. But it also means that one needs to take a very close look, especially at the operational setup of a fund. Many of the best-known hedge fund blow-ups we've seen over the last two decades or so can be traced back to serious operational wrongdoings, more so than actual performance. This is why taking great care and paying attention to detail and evaluating a fund is so important. This includes understanding how trade implementation works, doing background checks on the key people at the firm, and talking to investors and third-party providers like the auditors and brokers. Now, I want to be clear that this doesn't mean that a fund cannot have a period of poor performance, especially because hedge funds can take on leverage, but it does give you a high degree of confidence regarding how a fund is operated and run. So the manager selection aspect is really important then from a return, but also a risk perspective. Another way of reducing risk is through diversification. What are your thoughts on this? Yes, that's the second aspect that I want to raise. History shows that there can be a lot of value to investing in different strategies that are expected to generate different levels of returns, depending on the market environment and economic cycle. So strategies that tend to have a low correlation to each other in a hedge fund portfolio. Merger arbitrage strategies, for example, purchase the stock of a company being acquired in an attempt to capture the spread between the current market price and the proposed acquisition terms. Such a strategy can only do well when the market environment is relatively healthy and held supportive of M&A activities in the first place. Other strategies are better suited to more volatile markets. So what does this mean in terms of the return and volatility that an investor could expect? With limited volatility of the strategies and market correlation between the strategies, we would think that such a diversified portfolio could have a fixed income-like return profile with a return of 5 to 7% at 4 to 6% volatility over a market cycle. In other words, a return profile many fixed income investors know from the past very well. But hedge funds surely don't come without risk. Any excess return that they generate must come off the back of greater risks, right? That's absolutely right, Helen. And it's important to bear the risks in mind. While hedge funds typically have low credit and duration risk, they do come with their own set of risks. Those risks include tail risk, because hedge funds use derivatives and leverage. But it's also important to bear in mind that many hedge funds are not very liquid. All these factors need to be considered prior to investing in a hedge fund or portfolio of hedge funds. Now, if we look over the course of the last decade, what we see is that hedge funds now not only operate offshore, but are also onshore, such in the case of the increasing number of usage funds with registration in Luxembourg or Ireland. This is also creating additional choices for investors when considering this type of investment. Maybe before we continue, Julius Baer in its strategic asset allocation sets out a 5% allocation to alternative investments in balanced portfolios. For somebody like you, Adrian, who has been active in the hedge fund space now for a number of years, what do you think makes hedge funds interesting? I'm obviously a little bit biased, but to me, the hedge fund space continues to be among the most innovative areas in finance. You know, the first hedge fund strategy was conceived in the late 1940s when Alfred Winslow Jones wanted to separate market and equity risk, and so he bought stocks he thought would do well and shorted stocks he believed would do poorly. And your first equity market neutral strategy was born. 
Since then, we've seen strategies such as arbitrage, macro, distressed investments, activism and multi-strategy become part of the hedge fund landscape. Hedge funds will use any technological and market advancements to their benefit, be it artificial intelligence, systematically capturing the mood of the investment community or, more recently, blockchain and crypto. This totally unconstrained way of evolving investment strategies, I think, is thrilling. And it means it's an industry that will never be stale. Very interesting. Thanks, Adrian. You also mentioned alternative credit earlier as a partial stand-in for traditional fixed income. Can you tell us a bit more about what you mean by that? Right. Now, with alternative credit, we have an entirely different investment proposition. Here, we are talking about long-only investing. We are talking about private credit, leveraged loans and direct lending, to name a few. We think that particularly for investors with experience investing in high-yield bonds, alternative credit may be a natural evolution. The common theme across alternative credit is that investors receive an illiquidity premium on top of the typical spread earned for comparable traditional credit risk. So how does this work in practice? Can you talk us through an example maybe? Of course. So take private lending. Private lending tends to involve deals with middle market companies. These are companies with an annual revenue of between 100 million to 2 billion US dollars. The lending process occurs directly between the borrower and the lender without the involvement of any intermediary, typically a bank. The reason for this was born out of necessity. As a result of bank consolidation and banks' lending constraints due to tougher financial regulation after the great financial crisis, many middle market companies had only limited access to new sources of capital. In addition, the syndication process, that's when various banks and lenders fund a loan, is costly and cumbersome for smaller companies. Direct lending fills that gap and is able to extract a higher yield than other non-traditional fixed income strategies. Given that there is no such thing as a free lunch, one should note that a higher yield comes at the price of significantly lower liquidity, since there is no secondary market in place, so investors should be aware of that. Nonetheless, we think that investors who are comfortable investing in lower quality high yield bonds should also consider allocating a portion of their portfolio to private credit strategies such as direct lending. As with any credit strategy, selection is key and we think dedicated fund managers with specialized knowledge in the field are the best way to access these markets. Great, really interesting. Thank you, Adrian. And just before we end today's conversation, do you have any parting thoughts that you'd like to share? Yeah, so I think it's worth mentioning that while the market environment presents a few challenges, I'm quite optimistic about the opportunities in the alternative space, especially vis-a-vis the last 10 years. I'm sure you're aware that especially for hedge funds, they struggle to generate meaningful alpha for almost a decade after the great financial crisis. With the winding down of central bank intervention and a normalization of markets, active managers are actually much better positioned to generate alpha now. Now, I strongly recommend to always seek advice from investment professionals in the space. After all, what is a suitable solution in the alternative space really depends on the client's situation and goals. Excellent. Thank you for these final thoughts, Adrian. And this already concludes this edition of the Beyond Markets podcast. I would like to thank Adrian for joining me today and sharing her thoughts on where to find yield in the current environment. And thank you all for tuning in. We do hope that you enjoyed listening to this conversation and we hope that you'll join us again soon. Bye for now.
You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.